0: don't see the False Claims Act slowing down anytime soon either. Um, And our goal is really to reach a larger, wider swath of people practicing in this area. They have us as a resource and our members as a resource. If we do that, no law will continue to be protected. We're just kind of going to get bigger from here.
1: Corporate fraud works best in the shadows behind corporate walls. How does the government bring these wrongdoers to justice? Whistleblowers. These are the stories of those who risk their careers to shine a light on allegations of fraud. Today on Fraud in America. Well, welcome to today's episode of Fraud in America. We are joined by Taft's Director of Legal Education, Jackie DeMar. Welcome to the show, Jackie.
0: Thanks so much for having me. (laughs) It's going to be fun.
1: So this is one I've been really looking forward to. Nobody knows the nuances of the False Claims Act better than Jackie DeMar, but we thought it was important for us to talk about some of the trends that we've noticed over the last 20, 30 plus years uh, in the False Claims Act, but also now as we've ventured into the SEC and the CFTC and the Financial markets. Um, our world at Taxpayers Against Fraud has really expanded to a point where I don't think a lot of people recognized us. Jackie, there's a rumor on the street that you at one time worked for the dark side as a defense lawyer doing false claims. That case. Is that
0: true? It's true. It's true. It's true. I actually went to law school thinking uh, I wanted to work for a nonprofit, um, but and at the end of law school, I had considerable student loan debt and an offer from a big firm. So I decided to take it and I didn't know what the False Claims Act was. But once I got to the firm, I started doing False Claims Act, Foreign Corrupt Practices Act work. And I loved the law. I thought it was so interesting. But I just did not see myself being able to defend these companies. So um, I actually worked for big firms in D.C. for about four years out of law school. Um, and then. I found the perfect job for me doing False Claims Act and fraud work on the relator side. Um, and I found TAF and it was serendipitous.
1: So what was it about TAF that caught your eye?
0: It was the fact that I would be doing good work and I could still, you know, have a practice in an area that I was already really interested in. And, and just overall, as an organization, I, I believed in, in TAF's mission of kind of fighting fraud and incentivizing integrity. and um, representing whistleblowers and supporting them.
1: I always tell people that I'm just the pretty face of the organization and you're the real brains of the operation. Uh, Jackie, can you tell people what you do at TAF? Sure. Um,
0: so as the director of legal education, I'm responsible for a couple of different things. We keep the membership and kind of the public apprised of all legal developments. So any new case law that comes out, um, we'll write timely blog posts and things like that. We also, um, file amicus briefs in various um, federal and state courts around the country, including the Supreme Court. Um, and those, we are focused on the correct interpretation of the law.
1: <laughs> and,
0: uh, and we make sure the courts can get our take from the relator's side on legal issues they are large and important legal issues. Um, we also educate our members and the government through our annual conference that we hold each year, and we have various webinars and things like that throughout the year on kind of breaking legal issues.
1: As we're recording this, a few days ago, the Supreme Court granted a cert on yet another false claims act case. The court seems to have this weird obsession with our beloved law. Why do you think that is? I don't
0: know. And I'm a little bit surprised about them taking up this particular case um, because it's not one that I feel like on its surface is um, a huge deal on an everyday basis. They took up uh, the cases about how and whether the government can dismiss false claims that cases against kind of the relators uh, when the relator opposes. It's interesting because I feel like when they take these cases up, and in this case in particular as well, there's an underlying kind of constitutional issue that's always maybe floating out there. And you're wondering if that's actually what they're going to try to resolve in those cases, because, you know, the False Claims Act is this, you know, it's it's this niche little law. Um, and so you wouldn't think there would be so much attention paid by the Supreme Court. Um, but I think that there's like, potential constitutional implications for not just the False Claims Act, but maybe other laws that they might be. Wanting to at least take a look at it, not
1: decide. I always feel like we got to hold our breath when the Supreme Court grants cert. It, right? It's like who knows where they're going to go, what roads are going to go down. I always, uh, there were some recent cases that came out, and the question answer- answered had nothing to do with the issue presented. Yeah, and all of a sudden, all it was like a clown car decision. All these other things popped out of the car, and we didn't even recognize the decision that came out. Um, so you mentioned the Amicus briefs. Uh, there's been a lot of those filed since I came back two years ago. Why do you think there's this uptick in amicus filings recently?
0: I don't know. Maybe more. I don't think that it's more cases are being appealed. Maybe more um, More of our members are, are realizing that they can come to us for these kinds of briefs, because a lot of the ways that we, I mean, we're keeping track of all of the case law that's developing. But even us, sometimes we might not recognize an issue that needs our voice, and I think maybe the membership is seeing us um, file more, the Relators Bar overall is seeing us file more of these amicus briefs and realizing that this is something that where we could be, we could add value for them. Um, so, I mean, it might be that um, it might be just that I have decided that we need our voice out there a little bit more. And so um, when there are these issues that come up, I am pushing a little bit harder to, to file.
1: I uh, I look back on uh, kind of my timeline, and when I joined Taxpayers Against Fraud, it wasn't too far along after the Stevens case came out that you know basically gave the the stamp of approval to the key tamper provisions being constitutional. But you know, in talking to you know some of our mentors, John Phillips and Jim Helmer, you know at that time they were encouraging Taft to file on just the constitutional questions, and a lot of the issues involving like first to file bar and public disclosure bar, we weren't getting involved in. And then courts took those provisions and took them way off course. And then, uh, you know, amendments happen and the the laws were put back online. And I think that we're probably doing a better job of protecting the law now and making sure that that doesn't happen again. That comes to some of these important uh, provisions.
0: Yeah, I mean, I see us as true defenders of the law and we have to do that in a bunch of different ways. Right. And um, we have to do that by supporting whistleblowers and, and encouraging them to bring these cases forward, but also protecting the law in keeping the courts in check and the legislature in check. And so there's a lots of, there's lots of things that go into kind of this protection of the false claims. Act And these other whistleblower laws that you mentioned earlier, we've got the SEC, CFTC, IRS, we've got new, I feel like new whistleblower laws dropping every day. <laughs> so um, we have to, you know, make sure we're dug in there.
1: Director of Legal Education, which includes all of our members. So how do you keep all the cats herded in the right direction?
0: You can't really. <laughs> I think that our membership generally agrees on a lot of things um, with respect to the law itself, but also the bar is so collegial, like we, they all want to help each other out. And it's it's not, there's not a ton of inviting. There are you know issues to deal with, but um, I think for the most part, we're all rowing the boat in the same direction. I don't think there's a lot of you know, cat herding that has to be done necessarily. I
1: think that's right. That word collegial. It's this sense of family, maybe too cheesy of a word, but I feel that, you know, it's the sense of, you know, we have sure our, our uncles that sit around the table and say some crazy <laughs> things, but we got a, a good group of people that are just that they're good people and they are trying to protect their clients the best they can, and they're trying to uh, protect government programs and find out financial markets, and it's a such a really neat area of the law. You know, one decision can really sway our area of the law so much. Yeah,
0: and in ways you never thought possible. <laughs> I mean, you yeah, read, yeah, you, you read right. Escobar on its face, and it doesn't seem to be about what everybody made it about. So um, it is really interesting. Uh, and you're constantly in a battle with defense side who has far more resources than you know our side does. Um, and they can take a case and twist it into something else and run with it in the press. And then all of a sudden, it, the case means something completely different than you thought it did. Um, so it's, yeah, it's interesting the the battle you have to go through.
1: <laughs> so,, uh, I was with taxpayers against fraud on staff from two thousand and four to two thousand and ten, then took a ten year hiatus to practice. And then I came back in 2020. And then, so it's interesting to see the evolution of the bar. And I think defense counsel in a recent conference said it best that our bar has matured and become more specialized.
0: I think for sure, I would agree with that. I mean, there's 100% still a lot of employment, personal injury kind of lawyers that are also taking false claims that cases. But I think there's an increasing number of firms that exclusively do this work, which means they are very specialized. They're going to have this you know, kind of this knowledge and this focus um, that I think is as these laws grow to our, our, you know, our bars becoming more engrossed in this part of the practice. That's even more of a, a reason to kind of protect it and make sure it's being interpreted. Right.
1: You know, the thing I've noticed is the, um, we always think of this as being like a three-legged stool, right? The government, the Relators Bar and the Defense um, but I think it's even it's even more true now, right? The, the public-private partnership that you know, was envisioned by Lincoln in his ilk, you know, the early years of the 2000s, it very much was you file the case and the government uh, would ask you questions, but the review of documents and really helping the case move along was few and far between. But now the government is involving our side at every step; that they're really at least most U.S. attorney's offices are leveraging relators and relators counsel to move these cases along. Is, is that what you're seeing too?
0: Yeah, for sure. And we've been lately, um, working with some internal, uh, TAF committees, um, setting up and kind of round with various U.S. attorney's offices around the country. And we're, um, talking to them about what their process is and how they work with the relators during the investigation and what they do. And almost exclusively we've heard, um, they welcome our help and they, they often utilize um, relator's counsel during those investigations. So I think that that is, and it's such an important part of, you know, this law being successful is being able to leverage, you know, us to help out with, with all those, you know, millions of documents that they're getting inundated with. Um, and so our, 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 clients, our relators are specialized. They know this, they know the fraud know what to look for. They've usually been insiders or they're they're, They have expertise that will allow them to kind of point to the correct documents, know where to look, know who the witnesses are. So it's really important uh, for that relationship to be strong. And I think it really is.
1: So you mentioned committees. That's a new thing at TAF. We didn't have committees for a long time. And then uh, a few months ago, we launched all these new committees to help uh, amplify and expand our reach. What have you seen on the committee front?
0: it's been kind of amazing. Um, So of our, let's say 400 members, it's about that. I think something like 125 of them are on a various committee. Um, That is an incredible amount of engagement and it makes me so pleased. And there's, I think, 18 committees yeah, and they're, they're all, you know, specialized in different areas. So there's a committee for government relations, which is the committee that we're putting together these roundtables with. There's a public education. So that's the Kind of committee that really puts out our, you know, manages our blogs and this podcast and things like that. Um, and then there's, you know, specialized committees for topics within, you know, the whistleblower world. So a specific SEC, CFTC committee working on those issues. There's a judicial education committee. So we have all these, you know, all these members that are, you know, really working towards our goals, which is great because, we are only a few people on staff. And so we could not do everything that we do without our wonderful membership shipping in. So um, we're grateful to them and they're doing a fantastic
1: job. So where do you see the organization in 10 years?
0: These whistleblower programs are really growing so much. So I, I really see us expanding more into having uh, more members that are practicing in the SEC, CFTC, financial frauds kind of world. Um, and I think that that area is gonna grow a ton um, but I don't see the False Claims Act slowing down anytime soon either. Um, and our goal is really to reach a, a larger, wider swath of people practicing in this area um, and bring them under the kind of TAF wing so that they, they have uh, us as a resource and our members as a resource um, that can really kind of make sure everyone, again, is peddling in the same direction. Um, and, and I think if we do that, we will, you know, continue to grow um, and and the law will continue to be protected. We're just kind of going to get bigger from here. What do you
1: think? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, especially <laughs> since I just asked you that question. So what a fabulous question. I think you're right. I, I think that if we step back for one second, we think about where we are today, right? So we are, according to the news this morning, um, inflation is at a 40-year high. During the pandemic, more money went out the door um, than in the last 15 years. So tremendous amount of government money flowing and where money flows, ten fraud tends to follow, right? So we're certainly going to see a huge uptick in fraud. And during down times, that tends to make people do crazy things. And right now the economy is so uncertain. I think when it comes to government programs, they're vulnerable. I think the financial markets are very vulnerable and companies are going to start doing things that they probably normally wouldn't do in regular times. So that leads to you know a greater need for whistleblowers. And I talk about whistleblowers sometimes as this being a light in a dark room that inside of corporate walls, it's hard for the government to see what's going on. So we need the people inside of the corporate walls to shine the light of truth on what's actually happening. And a lot of times our government relies on, for example, audits or outside of the corporate walls to figure out what's going on. And that tends to be like a spotlight hitting a building. And that doesn't quite tell you what's happening on the inside. So the need for whistleblowers is greater than ever. The one program I think that needs uh, to step up and finally live up to its potential is the IRS. Um, but you know, if all these different programs are fully living up to their potential. And we're doing our job and being, I liked what you said, defenders of the law. Um, In the next 10 years, I think a lot of the fraud schemes that are happening right now that are so blatant won't happen. I I think back on the pharma industry 20 years ago in which literally sacks of money were delivered to doctors and Super Bowl tickets were given out like candy to high prescribers. Those things don't happen now because of people in our bar, courageous whistleblowers, the government – cracking down on those fraud schemes. So I think a lot of the fraud schemes that we see today in 10 years will go away. Unfortunately, new ones will pop up. And that's why we have to constantly be vigilant and organizations like ours have to stay strong. Otherwise, the bad guys win, right?
0: Absolutely. And you're so right about, even since I've been really practicing in this area, um, which hasn't been that short of an amount of time, but, um, you've seen the fraud schemes kind of change. They're not going anywhere. There's still tons of government money in healthcare, right? So, And there's still tons of kickbacks being paid. They just came up with a different creative way to pay them. Um, so it's it really is up to whistleblowers to spot it and and see that this, this behavior hasn't really changed. It's just, you know, you can't see it from the outside the same way.
1: You mentioned healthcare fraud. You and I were in a meeting where an AUSA said that some of the healthcare cases are getting boring to him. That the the kickback cases are are boring, and he's encouraging people to bring uh, cases that don't involve healthcare. Do you see other areas starting to step up, or other industries where there's obvious fraud that we play a bigger role in going after?
0: Well, for sure. I mean, I I, I looked at the defense budget for the last year um, recently, and it's astronomical. And honestly, the False Claims Act was. Founded or was passed initially to address fraud during the Civil War, so defense fraud, um, and you know, it was. It's been amended several times, and all of in in all of those cases, um, the it, the really root reason for needing to amend the the um, the act was because there was so much defense fraud going on, and so that hasn't changed. That it's just that you know I think a shift. Um, in priority, maybe to healthcare. I mean, obviously, there's a ton of money in healthcare as well. Um, but, you know, the, the defense cases are where I really think there needs to be a refocus because there's so much money poured into the defense industry and there's so many different kinds of facets of defense fraud that could be out there um, that this is an area um, where there's such an opportunity for um, heightened enforcement, I think.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I was at a recent conference where the IG of DOD uh, said, turning to Relators counsel, saying, I need you guys to bring me cases. <laughs> a lot of their cases right now are to kind of the spillover healthcare cases that involve TRICARE. Um, but we know that defense fraud happens. And when it happens, you know, there's so much money there that happens on a big scale. I personally find the SEC and the CFTC whistleblower programs fascinating. I think that there's tremendous opportunity there. There's this buzzword that you read about in the Wall Street Journal every day called transparency. That's true even more so now, as I mentioned, during these uncertain times, companies tend to cut corners and they may not fully disclose what's happening, but for a whistleblower. But my hope is because they recognize that SEC whistleblowers are incentivized and CFTC whistleblowers are incentivized to risk their careers in stepping forward, that those companies are less likely to defraud investors. That's my hope.
0: And and we do talk about kind of the deterrent effect of these enforcement actions happening. Um, It's interesting because now with the SEC, CFTC, there's kind of this like War over who's going to be responsible for enforcement in like the cryptocurrency kind of cybersecurity world. So it's it's interesting um, to see where that's going to go. If crypto is even going to be a thing uh, anymore, Um, but if if, as this crypto thing keeps happening and growing, I think that SEC, CFTC enforcement is going to grow with it. Um, But then there's you know tons of other areas of financial fraud out there. So I agree that the SEC, CFTC is going to be a
1: huge growing
0: area.
1: So, one thing that's been neat, Jackie, is we've had a number of interns and fellows who have gone on to become Relator's Counsel or work for the government. What would you say to a college student who's listening to this show who's considering going to law school and and maybe has an interest in our area of the law? What would you say to that student?
0: I mean, I would say if you can seek out those schools that have a focus in this area, there's not very many, but there are schools that have, you know, classes on the false claims act um, and just other kind of anti-fraud classes that are, they're that more focused in that area. But also, you know, if you're going in to, you know, come out the other side and make a ton of money right away, that maybe this, that's not the right area for you. But if you're going in to want to work in a really interesting industry like very weird facets and really interesting stuff, and do really good work—not um, just for the government getting the government's money back, but also, I mean, each of us is a taxpayer. It's our money that they're stealing. Um, but even aside from that, there's so many other things at issue. You know, patient safety, like you mentioned, those things are worth fighting for. And so, if you want to come out of law school doing good work, you know, look, look to this, look to these laws.
1: But with great advice, um, you know, this we have a young lawyers division, which is huge, active, vibrant, energetic. And I don't qualify for it because I'm too old. What do you say to those people who are trying to make a mark, trying to understand this area of the law? What do you say to the young to the young lawyers?
0: You've both kind of reiterated to young lawyers in this area. Um, be involved, like write, you know, publish what you can work with work with us at Taft on projects that you can work on and get your name out there. Um, I think we have so much opportunity available for young lawyers to get involved in. And that's a huge opportunity for a young lawyer to work with, you know, maybe even work with a more experienced lawyer um, and really get their name out there. And also, you know, find your thing that's going to be your thing. Right. So I am going to learn everything there is to learn about cybersecurity fraud so that even when a more experienced lawyer comes along that doesn't really know that much about cybersecurity, they're going to think, oh yeah, uh, that's, that's the, you know, that's the woman that knows about cybersecurity. Let me go ask her. And that's, you know, that's how you really advance your career. It's
1: ah, great advice. Well, Jackie, this has been a great conversation. I hope everyone has enjoyed this. If you have any questions, uh, make sure you reach out uh, to Jackie Namar. She is a uh, walking encyclopedia when it comes to the false claims act. She keeps up with all all of our case law and keeps our cats herded in a great uh, direction. Uh, Jackie, thanks for joining me today. Thanks so much. This is fun. Until next time, this is today's episode of Fraud in America. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Fraud in America. Today's episode was made possible because of the generous donation of longtime Taft supporter and whistleblower attorney David L. Heron. If you believe you have witnessed fraud against the government or fraud on the financial markets, we encourage you to visit our website at TAF.org, where you will find a directory of member attorneys who represent whistleblowers across the country. On our website, you will also find additional information about our nation's various whistleblower laws and programs and a way to donate to our organization as we step forward in spreading information about whistleblower programs. This episode was edited and produced by Rachel Brooks, and our theme song is by Connor Chaos. A big thank you to our TAF staff and researchers of James King, Emma Bass, Jackie DeMar, Kate Scanlon, Max Boldman. Fraud in America is a project of Taxpayers Against Fraud Education Fund. The opinions expressed on today's show belong solely to the guest and are not necessarily endorsed by the organization. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Fraud in America.